Hey, what's up, y'all? It's Will here at Schedule Fly, and I've got Josh Diner on the phone with me. Uh, it's in one of my favorite places in the world, Boulder, Colorado. And, dude, Josh, I was, like, trying to figure out, like, how do I introduce you? Because you own all these restaurants. You publish an incredible magazine, Dining Out. Like, you're a, you're a busy dude. So, first, thank you for taking the time to do this, man. But, like, how would you introduce yourself? Tell me, what, what, what do you say about yourself? Uh, in terms of like, um, you know, the businesses you own and, and what you're focused on these days? Uh, focus is a challenge these days. <laughs> uh, how do I introduce myself? I, um, I don't know, man. It depends who I'm talking to. Uh, I mean, the, we started with the magazine 20-something um, years ago, my partners and I, and didn't know anything really about the restaurant industry at that time. That's, that's really the magazine was sort of our education on the restaurant industry. Um, and never had any inclination of, of opening one or ambition to open one. Um, but over the, you know, over the years, talk to like you talk to hundreds of, of different places and kind of, you know, see the passion that's involved in it and the storytelling that's involved in it. Um, and, um, we're just a little less smart than you and actually went to do it ourselves at some point. I love it. <laughs> uh, you ever think of what you ever think of doing that? Uh, we've been doing this 13 years. I thought a lot more about it early on than I do now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, now is, now is a real interesting time to think about it. Well, you know, I mean, how do I say, I, I have a lot of admiration for folks like you, particularly in light of the fact that you came as an outsider and were learning from all these folks and decided, you know, let's give this a go. And you've clearly been very successful. I mean, you have a lot of places that you're involved in um, in some way or another. I, 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 it's, I mean, and they're really good places and they're well-regarded places. So, uh, you know, you and your partners have done something really special in my mind to be able to, play both sides of that's pretty impressive man um so tip my hat on that for sure why did y'all start the magazine 20 years ago the publication um, what? you know for, for for me it was about i i always wanted to be a writer so for me the magazine was about you know i was i was um i was working for ski magazine out here and freelancing around town and that's how i met my partners they had a magazine it was like a college tabloid. We were all kids. We didn't know what we were doing. You know, they were hucking, yeah. you know, ad sales to tattoo shops. And, um, <laughs> and, and, I, and I was, you know, freelancing anything, anything and anything that I could, you know, that I could, uh, you know, get a, get a quick gig and a couple of bucks um, for, for rent money. Um, and um, the scene was just coming, starting to come up in, in Denver and Boulder, like restaurants. It was not the restaurant scene that it is you know, now or has been, um, you know, there were a handful of, of cool restaurants. Everything else was really just kind of, you know, straight up kind of remnant from Cowtown. Um, but you could see it starting to come together. People were moving in from the coasts um, and inspiration was being taken different cities. Um, and there was a real push to a real push to do that. So, so, you know, we became friends with some of the guys who have been, you know, have become pioneers of the, of the restaurant industry out here. So it was a lot of timing for us. Um, and just got to see, you know, not just, uh, you know, not just like jumping into it now where, where there's, you know, uh, and I say now relative to not necessarily the last six months, but now contemporary speaking contemporarily, um, yeah 
you know, where there's, you know, a restaurant on every block um, or multiple restaurants on every block, um, but got to see the really the formation of, uh, you know, of a restaurant town, um, which was also really interesting because saw kind of like the pitfalls and, you know, what made it and what didn't make it and, and, you know, started to try to work out that, that eternal puzzle there. Mm, okay. Um, dude, you work for ski magazine and you, ah, man, <laughs> I love to ski. That's why I've been to Boulder and that's why I've been out West and uh, I love skiing. Um, okay. So you were a storyteller then a writer's a storyteller. So you really understand the importance and the value of story. That, I mean, and that's, that's what I think a lot of people don't, I, that's what I think a successful restaurant does. The most yep. successful restaurant is, te is telling a story without telling it, without hitting you over the head with it, but they know their story. And you talk to any, you know, any of the most successful restaurant tours and they can, and they, they know the story. They're not, they're not riffing or improvising on it. Um, they may have at one point, but they put it together and they can tell you what it is and why it is. Um, and then they communicate that to their staff and their staff, you know, their staff communicates it to the guests. And again, it's, you know, some people just want to come in and have food and they recognize that. Um, but there's a, but there's an underlying experience that people, whether they know it or not, are being told. Um, and that's really what we, you know, came to, to love about it is that, you know, is that it's this ever evolving story, right? You know, you change your menu with the season and you, you know, and you change your menu with trends and, and and what people are looking for. And it tells the story of, of the place where it is and the community where it is. Um, and so when you can start to articulate that, then that's, uh, that's what, that's when the magic starts happening. You know, I, I heard a definition of stories once it was like, uh, I'm going to butcher it, but it was essentially a story as a character who wants something and has to overcome an obstacle to get it. Um, yeah. Last six months are uh, one heck of an obstacle. Uh, it probably makes for some very fascinating stories on the other side of this, which maybe we're getting closer to. But um, there's a lot of. I mean, I don't want to take this conversation to a dark place or a deep place uh, necessarily, but just. Briefly, I mean, there's a lot of sad stories that have occurred, unfortunately, for folks that are completely outside of their control over the last six months, which has been, you know, we don't like to, you know, focus on sad stories, but I mean, it's a reality of this industry right now. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think it, the, the only way that you can look at it is, you know, regardless of how it ends for any particular, for any particular business, um, you know, ours included, nobody knows, right. You're driving, you're driving with no headlights and, you know, kind of feeling the road in front of you and, and, you know, trying to adjust your eyes to it um, and, you know, and get some side of some sort of like, you know, foresight. Um, but the best that, that you can do. And, and I mean, again, I assume you see it like what I, what I hear from most really ambitious, really energetic, creative people. Um, and what I try to focus on myself is that the challenge is, is exactly that it's a challenge um and it's hard as hell and it's exhausting and there's you know places where you just want to curl up in a ball and you know take a nap um and wake up when it's over that sounds really good sometimes um but at the end of that uh is 
is, you know, because you had to struggle through that, you come out fixing a lot of shit that was broken before we, before any of this started. And that's one of the things that I'm really seeing is like, this is an opportunity um, to, you know, to take an industry that we love and to, you know, and that can, that does great things within, you know, society does great things for the economy. It does great things for communities. Um, and it's, you know, it's this connection and all the reasons that we love it, none of them having to do with money and fix some of the structural things that are, you know, that are wrong. And so there's so much like energetic figuring out. And we've always made the excuse, like we're too busy. Like we know that the labor model is broken. We know that there's inequity between, you know, front of house and back of house. We know that tipping is a stupid, you know, is a stupid, broken, antiquated thing. Um, and, and now, and, and we've always just been like, you know, we're too busy. We're too busy to do anything about it. And there's no like pivot point forced on it. And now there's a pivot point forced on it. And just about everyone I know is taking that opportunity to, uh, to, to make change. Um, and, and that change, you know, isn't going to result overnight, like any change in like, you know, in, okay, now we're making money and it's great and everything's groovy again, but, but over time, you know, and not a lot of time over the next year, you're going to see, um, you're going to see these changes. And then at the same time, it's shedding a light on both, um, governments and municipalities and the public in general that are seeing how important the industry is. Um, you know, it's hitting, it's all of a sudden it's hitting municipalities that, that just like, you know, gave restaurants such a hard time with all the red tape and bureaucracies and zoning and blah, blah, blah. Um, all that stuff. And now municipalities are like, holy crap, we're missing some revenue right now. <laughs> um, and and they're like, we don't want this industry to go away. Selfishly, we don't want this industry to go away. It's what makes the places where we live cool and gives them some identity. Uh, and then, um, and, um, and for them more than that, it's, you know, it's a gazillion dollars a year in sales tax revenue. Um, and, you know, and it keeps it keeps uh, landlords um, with money coming in. And, you know, so everyone is kind of seeing, I think the connective tissue um, and, and recognizing that if it goes away, it affects the life of not just these small businesses. Um, it, you know, it really affects, you know, it affects life in, you know, in the places where we live. So that's why I think you're, you know, stepping up and seeing people almost treating restaurants like the nonprofits that they've always been and saying we want to support these things <laughs> and like selfishly because you know because uh because we want them to be here when this is all over we want to, you know we want to be able to, and so all of a sudden you're getting a lot less pushback on you know fees being added or you know i mean we did it this year at, at river and woods we did a uh, a music series where we had you know some acoustic artists you know, playing in the backyard every night. And these are guys that, you know, same deal. They were out of, out of work. They all played festivals all summer and none of them had anything, you know, anywhere to go. So they were piecing together little places. And more than that, they just wanted to do the thing that, you know, that they do in their lives. So we put them in the backyard and we just, we're like, we can't afford to just eat that cost of paying them. So we put it on the guests and we said, it's, if you're in the back, you know, if you're sitting out in the back and enjoying this music, then, you know, we're putting $5 ahead. Um, on your bill and that's all going to pay, you know, to pay the artists and no. Yeah. You usually do. Um, 
you know, or that you used to whenever, you know, people were feeling like they were taken advantage of. People are putting on, you know, COVID fees. We're not doing any of that, but, you know, people are just, you know, tacking on things that make it plausible for them to survive. And, and in general, what we've seen is that the community is like, not, you got to do, <laughs> just, you know, do it. Um, and uh, so that's been heartening. Um, you know, so while there's challenges in it and, you know, extreme challenges and yeah, some people don't make it out, a lot don't make it out. Um, most of the ones that we've seen not make it out are the ones who were like kind of tired going in and like, we're just like, okay, I, I'm not, I'm not up for the challenge and I don't, uh, you know, I'm not interested in the challenge. And so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna bow out here. Um, and I think that'll, you know, that'll make way for people who do have energy and that are looking to, you know, to come in and fix it all. Yeah. Well, I do agree with that. Um, anytime there's, you know, something like this, the folks that it just accelerates a lot of things. It accelerates the changes you need to make to your labor model or, or whatever. And it accelerates the um, unfortunate end to some folks story, but then opens a new space and uh, an opportunity for somebody new to begin their story and their journey. It's really an adventure, right? Like you're, you're on this adventure. I mean, in your industry, gosh, as much as any is, is truly an adventure, like a daily adventure um, with fires putting, you know, metaphorical and maybe literal fires to put out. There's just constant. Um, it's like you're steering this vessel out at sea and, you know, there's always, there's rarely a day where it's just calm and everything's good. There's always some waves or some wind. And right now you're kind of like, you went through the eye of this, hurricane which is what we're used to you know here in the southeast so i think of that but now you're it's starting to maybe get through but um y'all are always on this constant journey and adventure which to me makes it such a fascinating industry and an interesting one and i you know we get to meet so many really interesting and thoughtful and intentional people like you um i i think of this like i find what y'all do to be very fascinating and i think that i'm sure that i'm i've become bias towards the independent restaurant industry over the years that we've been doing this. Uh, so with that in mind, I, I mean, I always say, I think independent restaurants are like one of the most important assets of any great community, because if you think of a great city or a great town and you go, okay, well, why is Boulder cool? Why is Austin cool? Why is, you know, pick your favorite city, cool, San Francisco, whatever it is. It, when you ask people to start answering that question, you, you're going to get, well, the restaurant scene, the music scene, like those are going to come up real quick in that conversation. They have to. It's like, otherwise it's, you know, like I think of Charlotte and Charlotte's got, it does have good independent restaurants. Uh, it has it shared. We're getting more of those because we have Johnson Wales now, but Charlotte's like this business place. Like people don't think of Charlotte as a cool place. They think of it as like a place where, you know, there's a lot of good business, you know, banks and whatever else. Um, but it's starting to have a lot more good independent restaurants, which is making it like a cool place now um, or cooler. But it's a really important part of a great community. It's where people congregate and share store, their own stories, their highs, their lows, their celebrations, their losses. Um, it's where people of all ethnicities and genders and socioeconomic classes come to both congregate and to work uh, it's like the 
it's like the melt. It's like the real melt. Like where else do you do that in a community? You, you don't like, there's nowhere else to do that. And um, maybe people are, you know, you, you touched on this, maybe they're realizing both at the consumer level and at the government level, um, how, how the things that maybe you and I think about a lot that we're really aware of that are conscious to us, that we're maybe subconscious to them. Maybe people are starting to realize that. Um, I'm wondering if, you know, I'm, I'm seeing these things now. I, I see a little bit of a disconnect sometimes with what I read in, in some of the media and what we're seeing at Schedulefly. So for instance, you know, we see things like 50% or 80% of all restaurants will close if, you know, the government doesn't do PPP or do this or do that. And I, maybe, I don't know, or I, I'm seeing a lot of things they're saying how many have already closed. I mean, we're not seeing that. I mean, we only serve independent restaurants. I mean, we've certainly seen our share of lost business, but nothing like what I, I tend to see forecasted. Um, I think it's hard sometimes to, to say that, well, look, you're a creative group. You're extraordinarily creative and uh, uh, you're a group of folks that if you're an entrepreneur and you own independent restaurants by nature, by default, if you've had any level of success, if you got past first six months or a year or whatever, that means you're, you work hard, you're, you're thoughtful, you're creative, you tinker, you adjust, you have, you have to do all these things. So I think y'all will continue to do this. Um, so where I see these projections that independent restaurants are, really going to have all these problems and all the chains are going to make it through this because they've got economies of scale and resources. I, I don't necessarily believe that because I don't think the consumer really cares as much about supporting the change. Is that because I'm biased and I'm trying to tell myself a story that I want to hear versus what the reality is? Uh, I think it's, I think it's highly geographical. Um, okay. And I think a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, that number, I think, is definitely, I mean, if that first round of, if that first round of help hadn't come, um, you know, early on, those numbers could have definitely, you know, played out. Um, there's definitely places like San Francisco, Chicago, um, you know, where, where people just have fled the cities for, um, you know, for, and we're seeing it out here. Um, huge, like, you know, in the mountain towns, like the mountain towns right now are like, are like as busy as they've ever been. Um, okay. We have a restaurant in, in Sun Valley, Idaho. It's, it's bananas. Um, the because people have moved there. Yeah. Everyone's, you know, so many people are leaving, you know, and again, who knows how long this, you know, this trend lasts, but people like were scared to death of the city. They were like, if I'm going to be sequestered, in a place where the only thing I'm allowed to do is go walk in a park. I want to be in a place where there's lots of park. Um, you know, so, so a lot of people are leaving, you know, crap, really crowded areas for, for places that they perceived as less crowded because they wanted that. They're like, if I'm going to be stuck in my house, I want it to be. So that's a lot of the money is leaving those places and going into, you know, going into um, the, the kind of more outdoor play areas. People are moving into their second homes, like that kind, that kind of stuff is happening. So, so what we hear in, again, in cities like Chicago, you know, Manhattan is getting hit really, really hard, particularly yeah. in Midtown. Um, and, um, and so those places are, the restaurants are getting, you know, crushed. Any restaurants that are 
relying on office traffic, like that's going to be a long time before those come, come back. So I think of it more as, again, as like a shifting, um, you know, are there going to be half the number of restaurants? I, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, so much depends on how long this goes on. I mean, out here we're, you know, we're bracing for winter. It's starting to come in. We've got wildfires. The whole state is on fire. So people are, you know, people are staying away. They can't be outside when there's, you know, just covered in smoke outside. And that's, you know, think about San Francisco, which has all that stuff, expensive rent, you know, a city drowned in smoke uh, and, um, and, you know, and crowds. Um, and those restaurants are just, you know, are feeling it in very different ways than, than some others are. Um, so I think it's, and at the same time, I think that there's like a little bit of a, of a wake up call in those numbers, like an intentional wake up call, which is like, hey, we need help. We employ a huge number of people, 10% of the economy. Um, and if you, you know, if you help this industry get through, um, then think that, you know, then that's a bailout like you would bail out any other, you know, like you would bail out at the the auto industry or the airline industry. Um, it's the same thing. It just hasn't been done and, you know, to the, within the restaurant industry because it's so fragmented and difficult to bail out. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's, uh, you know, there's however many tens of thousands of independent restaurants that together make this industry and there's eight airlines and, you know, six car manufacturers. So way easier to, you know, give a quadrillion dollars to, you know, to, to the industry that to the industries where, um, where there's a handful of players and you can bail out a whole industry with, you know, with seven checks, um, than it is to, you know, bail out an industry that's as fragmented as the independent restaurant industry is, but it's the fragmentation that makes it what it makes it as special as it is. Cause if you were to just bail out big chains, that's not gonna, that's not gonna help communities. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, that's, uh, uh, you know, a, a long way around, I think maybe to, you know, to your no, answer, but that's, it's great. It's a great, I mean, you're, you're right. Uh, and we are seeing that you're right about those cities. I feel really bad, especially I've spoken to some folks in Manhattan and it's just, God, it's rough. Um, but they do need help. They, and they deserve it. You know, these industries that get bailed out and the, the banks did 10 years ago and we have them here and it's just, uh, it, it's, it's a weird thing because those are situations where it's like, you know, you, uh, they benefit from profits for all these times. And as soon as they have a loss, we all pay for it. Like you, it, <laughs> independent restaurants are already, you called it like a, the not, for, not for profit. Like, I mean, it's already hard enough. Like, and, yeah. uh, so and, and we, were right. on a, we were on a, I was on a call actually with, uh, I know, um, Dave Query is a, is a, is a regular yeah. with you. Um, yeah. And uh, I had him do a call with uh, a guy out of New Orleans named uh, Robert LeBlanc. I don't know if you know him, but but really, you know, incredibly bright um, and uh, and creative, doing some really interesting things. And and he said something that really that really caught me, which was, you know, why we can't as an industry feel bad like we're a for profit industry, yeah. and and you know we're killing ourselves to say that like we're successful if we make 5% profit. And like, you know, it's, it goes back to the cost of food. Like the government 
subsidies and that, you know, I think that's the root of the whole issue, right? Farming subsidies on, on big ag comes back to the root of where we get our food. People are used to cheap food. Um, and then we're offering service and, yeah. you know, an art on top of that um, and, you know, and an experience. And it's like, there's a cost, there's a cost to putting that on. Um, and, uh, and there is no, there is like when my doctor leaves me waiting for an hour in the waiting room, I don't get to say like, Hey, give me a free doctor's appointment. I don't get to say, I don't, there's none of that, you know? So, and, and, you know, nobody calls, there's no soccer team calling like the local, like, you know, name your, name your other industry and saying, give me a gift certificate for my kid's soccer team. Like that's, that's us being part of the fabric of the community. We're thought of that way, which is like, it's great. It's what makes it so special. And at the same time, we can't feel bad about trying to make a business that can sustain hard times because it makes money in the lean times. Um, uh, you know, in the, in the good times, I mean, so, and, and that's what, that's what Robert was saying. He's like, he, you know, he's like, you know, why is, why, why can we say that we're successful at five at a 5% margin that gives us no room for error. It gives us no room for error. It gives us no room to be able to like, to roll with the punches. And so the minute something happens that shuts us down for three months, we're done. Like we're yeah. living paycheck to paycheck, just like our employees are living paycheck to paycheck. And that's, you know, for something that sustains the economy in the way that we do, it's so, it's so symptomatic of the, of the problem with, uh, with, uh, wage disparity in the country. It's re it's really a reflection of that. And it's like, no, let's get to a place where like you can take a vacation <laughs> and, uh, you know, and work hard and, you know, and do good and contribute and be rewarded for it because we're not not-for-profit. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. I, uh, the subsidy issue is fascinating to me because what, so they subsidize big agriculture, corn and whatever else for, you know, mass production of essentially low quality meat and produce and everything else. Um, it's also often sprayed with chemical, you know, all this stuff so that we can get cheap food that's right. sort of a commodity and uh, you guys go out and you find local farmers and local folks that make quality products that are made with not just with love and care, but also with health in mind. Uh, and the uh, yeah, it's a myopic thing. It's an unfortunate part of like the way we often look at things, which is, oh, I'll get this cheap burger. But you're you're paying that you're paying for that. No doubt about it. You're paying for it with your health. Uh, and, and you don't recognize that like, oh, well, why is our health care so expensive? Well, it's, yeah, part of it's because we don't take good care of ourselves and we don't eat well. And we have all these maladies and things like that because we eat shitty food, excuse me, and uh, don't think about it. Like, you know, it's but I do. I mean, I, I mean you want to go bigger than that. It's, you know, that look why the U.S. is having such trouble with coronavirus. Like, yeah, that's right. You know, yeah, that's right. If you if. Right. If you have a lot of these comorbidities, you're in significantly more risk. And a lot of those things are very avoidable. Um, it's yeah, it's a it's avoidable by, you know, by, I mean, you eat healthy food and you fix, you know, you fix so many problems just by doing that. 
Um, and it obviously starts with, it starts with dollars and it starts with why is my, you know, why am I paying, you know, X dollars for a hamburger? Um, as when I can go to McDonald's and get it for a dollar, why can McDonald's do that for a dollar? It's not just, it's not just volume. That's not the only reason. Um, so yeah, so, I mean, we actually started, uh, there's a, uh, um, a program called Global Foodprint, um, which, which was started by a, um, a chef. He was a chef. Now he's, he's just doing this name, um, Anthony Myant. Um, and he started this program, just won the, you know, James Beard Humanitarian Award um, for it, where he's partnering um, and they're, they're piloting it here in, in Colorado. Now it started out in California. They're program where restaurants add 1% to, um, to their to every check, um, and and then 100% of that flows through to these carbon sequestration programs. Um, and you look at, and this was honestly a lot of this was like, what is the carbon What is that? Carbon sequestration. What is carbon that? Sequestration program. So basically, it's you know global um, climate change is caused by carbon in the air, and like you know we need to burn less fossil fuels. Yes, but there's but there's um, you know, this, there's a, uh, a theory called drawdown, which is basically saying like, we can take carbon out of the atmosphere just by creating healthy soil. Um, and that speaks to like, you know, getting rid of big ag, getting rid of, you know, mass tilling on the, you know, on farms um, and, um, and, and doing all of these very doable, very inexpensive um, and very sustainable, both economically and environmentally, um, farming practices, ranching practices that incorporate animals and incorporate like, you know, varieties of crops instead of monocropping. And, um, and that with these, you know, with, by us doing 1%, we let people, A, we let people know about it. Um, and B, um, locally, we can, we, you know, there are all these organizations out here anyway, there are all these um, organizations that are, um, that are um, putting out these uh, programs that, that, uh, you know, that do this, you know, that do this kind of soil work. Um, and, and it really is just about like, again, it's, it's an easy way to, to farm and it actually reduces the amount of carbon, um, pulls carbon out of the atmosphere and puts it into the soil. So the soil gets healthier, there's less warming, uh, agents in the, you know, in the air and, um, and, and farmers are, you know, you can actually take deserts and make them green. There's a, uh, a um a documentary on netflix called um kiss the ground which has way too many like celebrities in it but other than that there's some really interesting like new kind of information about it that's not just all doom and gloom but like hey we can make we can make these changes and literally reverse some of the the stuff that's happening in in like you know not a lot of years 25 30 years it can, we can bring it down to you know uh you know to really sustainable levels so, you know, if we as an industry take action like that, again, we're convening people in our communities. Um, and if we can, again, without hitting them over the head with it, just educate them on the fact that there's a cost to good food, um, then, you know, then it's another thing that we can do to do better in our, you know, in, you know, in the places where we live. Didn't, uh, trying to think. Who? Uh, what's the what's the name of the documentary? Kiss the ground. Kiss the ground. Yeah, I mean that can't they take herds of animals and put them out on 
land that's mostly the desert and, and has not been, and just the manure and all the stuff through, through grazing that they actually are able to take land that was pretty crappy and turn it into farmland and, and good soil. It's amazing how fast, how, how fast it can be done too. We have a friend out here um, who, um, butcher, he just moved out to Wyoming, but they're doing this stuff out there at this ranch in Wyoming, middle of nowhere, Wyoming. And he, um, so they've got a cattle ranch and they started a program a few years ago where they got um, the local recycling plant to bring, um, to bring them all of the, all of the recycled boxes that, that I think a lot of them for one reason or the other wouldn't have been able to have been recycled. And they were just delivering them, dropping to them. The, the ranch runs those boxes through their wood chippers and uses the, and uses the boxes as, as cattle bedding. Um, that recycled stuff, A, it's free. So that it takes the place of hay. So they don't have to grow or transport, um, all of the, you know, all of the hay and put all the resources that go into, into that. Um, and it's a slow compost and it, um, it holds the, it holds the nitrogen in the soil. Like, I don't know the percentage, but some huge percentage more than hay does. Um, and he's like, you can walk into, you know, into the middle of the, you know, the cattle, you know, where the, where the cattle bed and it doesn't smell at all. Um, and he's like three years later, the, the soil there is as nutrient rich as it has ever been in the history of, of the ranch in, you know, in three years. And, and we get all this bedding for free. Um, and then he's turning, uh, he's getting, um, shipping containers and turning the shipping containers into, uh, into kitchens. Um, and, and then they've got a cattle ranch right there. So the cattle and Wyoming has um, that some some there are other places doing this as well now we're just starting to do it but this community in Wyoming and it might be statewide has kind of bypassed the USDA requirement um, so they're able to slaughter cattle on site um, and butcher the cattle on site there's obviously an inspection and then you know the cattle is traveling a you know from from cattle to hamburger is traveling you know zero miles um, and this little podunk town in, in Wyoming has a hamburger joint out of a shipping container that would be like the hottest thing in LA. Um, yeah. and, and it's like a roadside hamburger joint. Um, that's like, you know, that's net zero. Um, and you know, so it, it, you just see these, you know, these, these models, um, and that it's, and that it's totally doable. Um, and, and everyone just needs to, you know, to, to step up and say, this is what we want and, and demanded of their, you know, demanded of their municipalities that that's where the subsidy should go is, you know, is like, I get a hamburger now that didn't have to travel. Like there's cattle right here. There's, there's, you know, yeah. right here. I didn't have to travel thousands of miles to, you know, to, to get to me. That is a, see those, that's a story. That, those are great stories. That's the stories we want to tell that I know y'all are doing. And that's, That's where, you know, the stuff you're talking about, one of the things I find fascinating about this is um, there's a disconnect sometimes, I think, with if you're telling us, if you're telling that story, but you're telling the side of like, this is what we need to do to improve the environment and climate change, you're going to get an audience of people that are like, yes, I'm in. But you're going to get another audience of people that are like, show me the money. 
the thing about that is if you're good at telling that story, it works for everybody. Like if I'm the guy that's like, I don't know about all that. I just want my cheap. Bur- well, hold on now. Let's talk about, you know, all the costs that come with that and the cost to you. Like I look at, I used to eat crappy. Like I grew up, I didn't eat well. We weren't, you know, and I ate shitty food and a lot of candy and sugar and didn't take good care. And it's fine when you're young and then it starts to catch up with you. Right. When you get older and you're like, Holy crap. Uh, you know, it matters now. And, and you start to really peel back the layers of the onion and you go, man, if I don't do a better job of like putting good stuff into my body, I'm just going to have all these ailments and maladies and, and, uh, it's going to cost me, like, if I'm a, if I'm thinking about the fiscal part of this, it's actually going to cost me a lot more. It may put it off down the road, but all these health problems I'm going to have are going to be really expensive. And I don't like that. I don't want to spend all this money on doctors and medicines and, you know, all the procedures and so forth. So now I spend a lot of money on food up front. Whole right. lot. Yeah. And, but I don't, you know, but yeah, it, it you know, I mean, <laughs> like my net cost is way below what it would be. And you're, you know, you're one of the lucky ones that can make that choice. Um, you know, there's oh, yeah, a, for sure. a shit ton of people who unfortunately, you know, can't make that choice and they go to the grocery store and they're like, you know, um, if they can go to the grocery store and they're like, yeah. so, and that, you know, that's where government has to come in. And that's where I think, you know, again, that, you know, that we as an industry can, you know, can step up and, and, and make that kind of change to say, because I, I always look at government as the parent, right. You, you know, you, yeah. If you're a kid and you're given the choice of eating, you know, of eating candy for breakfast or, you know, or having a, you know, a well-balanced, healthy breakfast, um, you're going to choose the candy every time. And that's unfortunately, you know, where we're at as a society, where the kids and the government should be our parents telling us like, you got to eat your broccoli. It, trust me, <laughs> like you're going to feel bad when you got no teeth and you weigh 400 pounds. Um, so so, you know, if the government can say instead of, you know, and, and it does that in the form of subsidies. Um, and right now what it's saying is like, you know, go, go eat fast food because that's where, you know, that's where that's how, that's how those, um, that food gets out to us. Cheap food gets out to us because of, you know, because of our government is saying in, instead of being like the strict parent, they're being the, you know, the, the loose aunt. Um, they want to just be your, you know, they want to be your pal. Um, and, um, and it hurts you in the end. Um, so we have to, you know, be, we have to be the adults in the room and demand uh, that, you know, that, that our governments do the right thing, which will, you know, if they do, um, and that's a big, you know, there's a lot of moving parts to that, of course, but, you know, if they do, then that, you know, everyone is better in the end. It's totally fixable. The problem is fixable. You just have to, pick your point and start fixing it. You're frag. You're so fragmented though. It's hard to find like, okay, so you're talking about big issues where you need really good lobbying in Washington, but what, what, what do you do locally then? Like you guys have this conversation and you and Dave and you talk to somebody in new Orleans and I'm sure you talk to folks around the country. How do you advocate for change with your local governments? Well, you know, in, I mean, again, we're in Boulder and Denver and that, you know, there's again, we're in a lucky place where there already is, there's a lot of movement towards that, um, you know, because, because people do vote with their wallets um, and what people, it's, I mean, it's the reason that you see organic food at Walmart now, 
um, is, yeah. and that change happened, that change happened slowly. Um, but then it becomes, you know, it becomes a movement. It starts as, it starts as conversations and the more you have the conversations, um, and the, you know, the more you use the plat, whatever platform it is that you have for us, it's the restaurants and the magazine. Um, and so, and so how do we tell those stories over and over and over again until, until they start becoming, uh, you know, something that people hear and agree with, like, what is the thing that resonates, that resonates with you? And are you willing to pay 20 times more for a hamburger, um, you know, that actually came from a cow or mostly from a cow, um, you know, than you are to, you know, to eat processed crap that's going to leave you, you know, that's going to leave you, that's going to take years off your life and leave you debilitated for lots of them. Um, and how can we feed not just the people who can afford to pay 20 times more um, than, uh, you know, for, for, for that and bring that in, you know, bring that into the middle um, to a place where, uh, you know, when the dinner plate hits, it has what is good for you on it in, in all, you know, in all of the ways. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it, I think it's just about everybody just educating everyone as much as, you know, as much as possible. And again, that's, I think another opportunity of what's going on right now is that people are right now for the minute are listening to restaurants specifically uh -huh. in a way that isn't always the case. And that's, that is the opportunity. And you see, again, you see things like, you know, the IRC and the movement that the movement that when people get together, bright, creative, um, energetic people who know people um, who may not have access to capital themselves, but certainly have the ear of people who do um, to organize and organize quickly and make change. Um, and I think, again, we've seen, uh, we've seen that that is you know, what, how we can do that. The IRC came together, you know, in weeks Very and was in front of, you know, in front of the highest levels of government within weeks. Um, and, and so, you know, we do need leaders and not just TV leaders, but, you know, but real, uh, you know, real change leaders um, and thought leaders. Um, and, and, and again, I think that that, that can happen up pretty, you know, pretty naturally. We, I mean, we just, we just saw it happen. So I think that's been an education for most of the people who are paying attention. Um, okay. Uh, tell me about dining out and y'all pivoted with this publication in the last year. Um, so what's going on? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, we, dining out was when we started, it was, um, was, really just meant to be a menu guide for Boulder and Denver. And again, like it was, you know, it was when we had, uh, when hey, Josh, let me stop you for one second. Yeah, sure. Are you able to hear this ridiculous hound dog, uh, barking in the background. I don't. Okay. She's been howling like crazy. This is Lola. Oh. She's getting in trouble with me right now because she won't stop howling. Um, of course you have a hound dog. You have to have a hound dog. She's a, uh, she's a sweetheart. She's a, she's a blue tit coonhound. Can you say hello? Yeah. <laughs> uh, she's uh she's up she's frustrated with me because she hasn't been had hadn't gotten her exercise yet so okay. i apologize if she's been howling she's quite uh obstinate but anyway so <laughs> all right uh, so yeah so anyway we um we uh you know had had been putting out the magazine we were in um 
up to, you know, 18 cities, uh, you know, around the country, a couple in Canada. And the gist of it was we were a, a restaurant guide um, historically. And, um, and then when, when COVID hit, you know, restaurants would pay to be, you know, to, for us to market them essentially. Um, and, um, and then when COVID hit, uh, we were like, well, we can't ask restaurants for money anymore. Um, so this is something we've been talking about doing for a while because we were in the industry and we kind of saw the need and really wanted to create this, this, uh, place for restaurants to have, a, you know, a means of communicating with each other, um, so that they could share ideas, exchange ideas and share resources and, um, and kind of, uh, speak to those that supply them also and be able to say what it is that what they that they need um so we've been talking about doing that for a number of years we're like this is what we should be um but you know same as what we were talking about with all the other change it was like there's no reason right now to do it um you know things are kind of humming along and on autopilot and we're too busy and it doesn't make sense to just you know you know slam the brakes in the middle of the highway um, and make a change. So, um, so when, uh, when COVID hit, we were like, well, now's the time, um, you know, choice was made for us. Um, and so we, you know, closed up what we were doing and basically said like, we can't ask restaurants for advertising dollars and we won't be able to for a long time. Um, so what is it that, you know, what is it that we can do? And, and so we said, let's be, you know, become a trade publication and, uh, and put that together in, uh, in Colorado and, and model it out. Um, and we just came out with our first issue with that, have a whole new editorial, you know, started with a whole new editorial staff. And, um, and you know, the, again, the idea being that, uh, that we utilize all of our relationships in, in the industry, all the people that we know and, and give them a platform to speak rather than trying us to say, here's what the trends are. I mean, we have our ideas about what they are, but we want just more and more voices. Um, and, and that's what exactly what we're seeing is, you know, everyone, every independent restaurateur has like a handful of really great ideas and a handful of really unique perspectives. And how can we put those together into, uh, into a, a cohesive story so that we can keep all that, fragmentation that like that makes it so special um and and that uh you know is the reason why it's as important as it is 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 that fragmentation but also create a place for a, where voice can be heard um and uh and um and give a microphone you know to the to the industry to be able to say um this is what we need uh and this is you know this is how we can this is how we can create collective change that will help all of us and 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 so help the communities where we are are you is it a um is it a do you have subscribers or, or do you pay for it with advertising or how do you monitor uh, we're yeah we we're looking to we're looking to you know supporters of the industry to advertise in the in the magazine we distribute free to every restaurateur every restaurant in the state um, and then a bunch of the, you know, other industry in the state gets copies of the magazine. And then obviously we're, we're building out web uh, and digital as we speak, obviously all of this is happening on the fly. So it's ever evolving. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's a pretty tireless effort. Um, 
But no, the idea is that we don't, you know, we want to be able to market for restaurants and create resources for restaurants and be an asset to restaurants without restaurants having to having to pay for it, having those that for, you know, historically and um, and going into the future are going to be um, our suppliers to the industry. So, um, you know, the uh, the 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 food suppliers, the vendors, the tech companies um, that help the restaurants run their business um, and that benefit from the restaurants paying them for those services that that they are the supporters of the, you know, of that message. How many, so you send copies to every restaurant uh, in your database there in Colorado? Yeah, right now it's just Colorado. So we're modeling it out for Colorado, but but the idea is that, it, you know, it'll be replicable in other in other um regions as well how, how many restaurants do you have like will you send your first copy to or have you already sent it we have yeah um uh there was just shy of ten thousand. okay so they each get a copy and then you have uh some of the suppliers i would guess maybe get copies and things like that yep suppliers media anyone who's you know tangential to the industry so um okay you know, so uh and then again, you know, hit, hitting hitting with regular web content on it, you know, on the uh, every day. There's new content going up on the on the web as well, and we want to create digital resources. And then conversations like this, you know, putting putting restaurant tours together with experts, um, whether they're other restaurant tours or um, or experts in you know in their corner of the industry. So. Um, again, food providers or, you know, uh, you name it, um, that, you know, that are thinking about one specific thing and then, and then leveraging that knowledge for the benefit of everybody, you know, the entire audience. Yeah. Well, I love what y'all are doing, man. Uh, thank you for doing it because the industry needs it. I haven't, you know, it's, well, look, let's put it this way. Let's just be honest. If I had the energy and, <laughs> energy that you have clearly to have all these restaurants and do this. I mean, this is what we, you know, ultimately started this whole restaurant owners on cork thing with, with some books and some videos years ago, and it revolved at the podcast and the zoom series. But I mean, I, I, you know, I just don't, I, I'm I, because it, it needs to happen. Like you couldn't find, there's just nowhere else. This is really happening. There, there are other publications. I won't mention by name. And I, I've kind of dialed out of this, but, there were some that were represented independent restaurants, but I found that I found it to be a very corporate approach. Like you guys really have your finger on something important, I believe. And I'm very glad you're doing what you're doing. And I think you're going to be very successful. Um, so thank you for, for sharing these stories and for putting this publication out for making this pivot during COVID because the industry needs it and uh, people are hungry for it. And it's a awesome, awesome resource and opportunity for folks around the country. So I'm excited that you're doing it, not just in Colorado, but that you guys are going to go everywhere because it is very uh, uh, replicable. Um, and you've got so many incredible cities with so many incredible restaurant people. And I'm, frankly just blown away a lot of times by i'm just so impressed i speak to these owners i'm like how is this guy or this gal like how is his or her voice not like how, how it needs to be amplified because they're so smart and so thoughtful and so 
like they're amazing people and they're just like you know like i i think of karen hoskin there in crested butte you know and of course her voice is being amplified she's done and she's done really well with finding ways to do that but there's just so, so many smart people. Dave, when I first spoke to Dave years ago, he's kind of the reason we decided to do the book. Because we were like, holy cow, this guy's brilliant. Like, brilliant, not like PhD brilliant. Brilliant, like really understands the essence of what it takes in this crazy industry we call hospitality to be happy and successful and helpful in, in, a, in a community. And uh Anyway, so sorry for that long ramble, but I really appreciate what y'all are doing, and I'm I'm really thankful that you're doing it, man. It's an awesome thing. Uh, you too, Will. I appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, so what else is on your mind, man? We've been kind of all over the place. I'll tell you one more thing I want to ask you about, um, but uh, I'll, I'll hold that, and I want you to tell me what else you, you wanted to talk about today. Um, and we covered a lot. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, one thing I'm very curious about is the uh, the conversation that is beginning to take place more and more necessary, very necessary conversation about something that's been an issue in the industry for a long time. And I think it was overlooked for a while or just not given enough attention, uh, which is substance abuse. And you see things like Ben's friends chapters popping up all over the place. And, um, you know, it's such a weird dynamic because you have such a work hard, play hard environment. I mean, and it is really hard, hard work, truly. And you need a you need to find ways when you work like that for the hours you work and you deal with both the, the physical rigor and the, the mental rigor uh, of customers and all the stuff that comes with your industry. You need to find ways to. Um, balance that with some sort of release. And a lot of times in the industry, it was like, okay, well, we're done with this long ass shift. Let's go out and get hammered or, you know, party together. And um, it led to a lot of addictions and unhealthy habits and practices. You've been in the industry a long time uh, as an insider as a, and as an outsider with the publication. Tell me what you think about all of that. Um, yeah, it's a, you know, it's a problem and there's always the question of, you know, kind of what comes first, um, you know, that, so yeah, you know, it's a, it's a little chicken and egg going on, you know, is our, you know, there's a, there's a personality that gets into this industry. Um, yeah. and it's, it's, uh, I, I wrote it in, in, in the first publisher's note, basically saying like, we're all addicts in some way. Um, and you know, you, you can't do this and, and not be, and it's how you channel, it's how you channel addiction. And so we want to be proponents, you know, in our restaurants, what we try, and I think what we're seeing more and more is being proponents of channeling, you know, channeling your addictions in, in, in healthy, in healthy ways, your addictive personality. Um, you know, for, I, I think that that starts at the top, I, you know, culture begins, a restaurant's culture begins with, you know, how you define it. Um, you know, we fought for a long time, for example, about just shift drinks. And we're like, you know, by offering a shift drink, what we came to, first of all, I had an old manager that said it, um, that said it best. He's like, you know, been in the industry for a really long time. And he's like, I have, I can't count the number of people I've fired. I've had to fire in my, you know, in my tenure. Um, but I could tell you in, on one hand, how many I've had to fire for something that didn't involve 
drugs or alcohol. Yeah. So if we take that out of the equation, then, then we don't have to get rid of people that we care about. Um, so, because, you know, a little becomes a lot really, really quickly. So for us, we're just like, you know, and we struggled against it because we want to reward people. We want people to feel good and we want people to celebrate. Um, and it, you know, it's obviously, it's always our first inclination to say, like, we celebrate with a drink. That's how we, you know, that's how we do it. But if we say, no, let's celebrate, you know, let's celebrate in some different way um, that doesn't involve, you know, that doesn't involve, uh, you know, because if, if a little celebration is one drink and a lot of celebration is 10 drinks, um, you know, then that's, that's where that culture starts. So, so, you know, we, we just took it out um, entirely. And at first it was like, it was like, it was a punishment. And we're like, this isn't, we don't want this to be viewed as a punishment. Um, it's not a punishment. It's not meant to be a punishment. It's not like you did bad. So we're taking away this thing. It's like, we don't need this thing to celebrate. Uh, and that, you know, so that's how, that's how we looked at it, but yeah, it's a, it's, you know, you have to very consciously put health into something that is, um, ironically an unhealthy, often unhealthy place to work. Um, and where it's the most healthy is in human connection and people that work really, really closely together and a team that, you know, that when it jives is like a dance. Um, and, you know, when it doesn't is like a car wreck. So, um, so, uh, you know, so how can we foster the dance, um, and, and, and celebrate when that goes, you know, and celebrate when that goes well, um, in, you know, in, in unlazy ways, because drinking or drugs as a celebration is lazy. Um, yes. Yeah. You know, so it, I think it comes from the top and the way that you communicate that in, in your culture. And the bottom line is that if you have someone who's working for you that can't, that isn't able to celebrate in a different way, um, then that's not the right person for your, you know, for your culture. Because if you have a drug problem um, or a depression problem or whatever it is, and you're not addressing, you're not addressing it actively, um, then this industry is going to... It, you know, it pulls out the best and the worst of, of whatever it is. It accentuates whatever it is. Um, so if there's like a seed of cancer, it's going to accentuate that. And if there's like a seed of, of, you know, uh, something positive, then it's going to accentuate that, um, because of the challenge that's, you know, that that's associated with it. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I think it's about paying attention um, and being, you know, not sweeping it under the rug and not pretending like it doesn't exist. And when there's a problem, letting people know that you're there for them um, and, uh, and helping in, in whatever way you can um, when people want help. Uh, but it, yeah, I mean, it's, a, it, it's something that has to be paid attention to. And that is, and that is again, you know, another <laughs> of the ongoing uh, issues that, that we can, you know, fix by confronting. Okay. Um, I, I want to ask you another question about that. Do you have, how much, by the way, I've taken a lot of your time. You got maybe 10, 15 more minutes or you need to roll. Uh, I got I do have another, another meeting when we're, when we're done, but another 10 minutes, fine. Okay. Hold on. I'm going to go get this hang tight one sec. I'm going to cut this out. I got to go get this dog. She's going. Right. Hold on. Hold on. Thing I want to ask you, which is 
I guess a little, well, it's similar. Uh, it's an issue that the industry has dealt with for a really long time. Conversations are happening more now. Uh, in some places, uh, and I, I can think of Raleigh, North Carolina as an example recently where uh, it's been a big issue, which is um, there's, you know, there's always been issues with um, sexual harassment, unwanted advances and all these stuff that, that come along that, you know, in and outside of the restaurants as well. And part of that oftentimes is probably what you were talking about. It's related to alcohol often. Um, but the conversation's happening more and more and now social media enables that conversation. So I've seen actually examples now of where this, you know, what you may call cancel culture has really, uh, taken down some folks, um, or they're going, they go after folks, that frankly, it, it, some of the ones I know that have done a lot to try to really help their organization improve, but they'll say, well, this happened, you know, X number of years ago. And so it's a really interesting thing where um, you have people that have a big social media presence sometimes. Um, the challenge with that is that they, these folks will actually use their platform via comments and so forth to really hit them hard. And then uh, you know, we've seen some folks run out of the industry, maybe justifiably so. I don't know. Um, but I'm curious what you're seeing and, and the conversations y'all are having about that because it's it's not going away. And it's certainly something that's been a problem in the in industry. The industry's improving, but probably it where it needs to be. I don't know. Like, what do you think about all that? Yeah, I, you know, I, I land, you know, somewhere, somewhere in the middle. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, the first rule is, you know, of, of, of being a leader in any way is like, you know, don't be an asshole. Um, you know, and if you can look yourself in the mirror at the end of the night, then that's the, that's the best you, you know, that's the best you can do. And if someone, you know, and create a place where, um, and it's really hard to do, um, but do your best to create a place where, where there's open communication so that when someone has a problem, like you, again, it's, it's creating a culture where when there's an issue or when there's a concern that that concern is heard. Um, and you know, the bigger you get, the harder that is to do. And the more people you have managing and representing you, the harder it is to do. We had a manager and we're, you know, we're not a huge organization by any stretch. Um, and we, but we had a manager that we hired, um, who, who just was able to put it on in front of us and, um, several months in to his employment, we had a, a, a hostess come to us and very like was terrified to say something. Um, but basically said, you know, that, you know, she was made to feel pretty uncomfortable, you know, by this guy and gave, you know, gave some examples of what had happened, which were like just stupid. And we went to the guy and said, you know, you can't, we're not, we can't, this is zero strikes. Like, you know, you, you're, you're, we have to let you go. Like we, and, and I felt terrible. I mean, I felt terrible letting this guy go because my inclination was this guy just, you know, said some shit that he thought was a joke and that he was like flirting or whatever it was. And, 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 you know, and he just, uh, you know, made a mistake. And I was like, people make mistakes. I don't hold it against you. I don't think you're a bad guy. Um, but we have to let you go because we can't, you know, we can't have this. Um, and I felt horrible because I felt like, you know, I, I fully believe when you make a mistake, like they, there should be a, a chance for redemption because 
certainly I make them. Um, yeah. So we let this guy go and then instantly out of the woodwork comes every other female that have, that works for our company. Who's like, thank God, this guy was a nightmare. Um, and he was like, you know, the biggest creeper and blah, blah. And we were like, why? Why didn't anybody say anything? Why didn't anyone say anything to us? <laughs> um, you know, and that's the kind of stuff that can just completely infect, you know, it's again, it's the cancer um, and, and can completely infect your, you know, your entire organization if you're not looking out for it and reflect on you. We're there, you know, defending this guy and feeling terrible that, you know, we made a mistake when, you know, it was happening serially. Um, so, so how do you, you know, how do you do that other than make sure that you say to everyone, like, you know, when there's something, please say something. Um, and, and I don't know how else we could have done that. And still it wasn't, it wasn't happening. So it's a, you know, it's a huge challenge. And the best you can do, I think, as an employer is just model it yourself um, and make sure that, you know, make sure that you're constantly communicating it and not stand for, you know, not stand for it. And also at the same time, like understand that, that, you know, the whole cancel culture, you know, piece is, is, is horrifying. It's like, you know, it's witch trials. Um, you know, there's no, once you're called out that way, like you're guilty. It doesn't matter. Like there's your side of the story is irrelevant. Um, and, um, you know, so, so you have to be extra careful. Um, and, and then when you are extra careful, be able to, you know, as, as you know, assuming you are and assuming you can look yourself uh, you know, look at yourself in the mirror, say, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm just going to answer this. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and, 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 and do it as honestly as possible. Um, and if you happen to be part of the, you know, a casualty of that, then there's not a lot you can, <laughs> there's not a lot you can do about it. If you honestly done your best. If, yeah, you know, I, but I think if you've honestly done your best, that's what I wonder about. Now, I'm going to let you go, but I, it's fascinating to me because, I feel like that culture is, it's a small group and I feel like social media amplifies it and makes it seem a lot bigger than it is. For so sure. For instance, like in Raleigh, there's all this stuff going on right now, but I had one of my friends here who runs, runs a restaurant said, it's like 12 people, you know, but it, it seems like the whole city yeah. hates you and you're a horrible person. And you, but I, I think that you, I wonder if you can over uh, state how, if, if it's overstated in your world, if this little echo chamber seems bigger than it is a lot of times where most of your consumers and your customers don't know about it, don't follow social media, maybe don't have a clue what's going on. You're sitting there going, holy crap, you know, well, I need the, problem is, the problem is, and we made this conscious decision because one of these one of these groups came to Denver and was pulling this crap in Denver um, and and. Uh, you know, everyone was super worried about it and everyone was calling their PR company and, you know, how do we answer this? And, um, and we made the decision, like, you know, the, you know, again, the problem is that media desperately wants clicks and yep. eyeballs. And so media, you know, you know, the Denver post might pick up on, fortunately they didn't in this case, but they might pick up on and be like, Hey, there's this thing, here's this news story and everyone loves controversy and they smell blood in the water. And so, and so ever, and that's, and that's where it ends up happening. And it's like, it's like any of these movements where it starts with like an atrocity, a black and white, like, like no holds barred, like, 
you know, someone was raped. And then it's like, again, everyone's like, this is a problem with our culture. And that's true. In many cases, that's true. But there's gray areas, you know, beyond those, like, you know, those, those super clear atrocity examples. And then, and then they go looking for the next and the, and the, it, you're not playing, you're not talking about apples and apples. And you start, you know, putting everyone into the same basket as like, you know, someone, you know, drugging and raping someone is not the same thing as, you know, as someone touching someone on the shoulder that didn't want to be touched on the shoulder. That person shouldn't be touched in ways and may or made to feel like whatever, but one could very well be innocent and one very clearly is not, you know, or was, you know, the intention was innocent versus like there was a, there was a bad intention. Um, and, and, and then all of a sudden it's like this person and this person are like in the same conversation when they're not part of the same conversation. So for us, at the, you know, for, you know, for us, we said, we're not addressing this. We're not bringing it up because what happens is it starts within the industry. Did you hear about Joe? He got accused of blah, blah, blah. And then everyone's talking about it, like you said, and the echo chamber goes out into the world. So I think it's, I think it's, listen, if, if something illegal happens, there are, there are very clear ways, you know, the laws are on the side of the accuser in that case. So if, if, something was done to you in your place of employment and you feel like you're not getting attention on social media, then go to the police. Um, if something, you know, real is happening, you know, is happening to you. And until it goes there and you go through like the reason that there's a whole justice system by me, I'm just like, I, you, you have to ignore this. This is not, you know, this isn't, this is not like there are not laws in place to protect people from this. So let's, let's go that route instead of just, you know, calling someone out for, you know, for, you know, for language that offended somebody or for, you know, or for, you know, something that, that didn't escalate to something that was, you know, that was, uh, that was devastating. And let's pay attention to it to make sure that as we can create a culture of inclusion um, in our, you know, in our industry. Love it, man. Last thing I'll say is I think that y'all, one of the things you're, you had, you're, uh, son just went to school, your parent, your dad. Um, I think that all of the folks over the years that we've been doing this that I've come to really, really admire. And I never thought about, honestly, until just now it hit me when we've been talking, but you're talking about leading by example. Uh, and you said a lot of the things that you would do as a parent. And it, it occurs to me that so many of the people like yourself, like Dave, so many people that I really think do a great job in this industry. It's almost like you run your business the same way you might run your household in terms of like how you treat your staff is how you would treat your kids. You're authentic, you're honest, you're humble, you're willing to admit when you screwed up and you communicate and you think of what's important to them and have their best interests at heart. It, and, and it's it's why there's something so special about independent restaurants because we always you know it's like a family like if you have your business if you run a restaurant and you run it like a family I, I think and again I, I I can't say this with experience so I'm careful with that I feel like if I had one I would really try to run it the same way I try to run my household uh, with with my wife and I would do that with my business partners which is like we have these people that rely on us. Uh, for their livelihood. And it's really important 
that we lead the best way we can, communicate well, be self-aware enough to say, I, I F this up and here's why. And, but treat them like we would treat our kids because it is a family, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and try on a daily basis to do that. And, you know, just like you do with your kids, you, you know, it gets fucked up from time to time. Hey, um, man, we all do. There's and, no doubt. Yeah. You know, and, you know, and sometimes, and sometimes you can't control the actions of your kids either. Um, and it, you know, and it affects, so there's no perfect way to do it. Um, I don't think anyone's figured that out, but, um, but, um, but yeah, doing it with, you know, with honesty and whatever your own sense of integrity is, is, you know, is, is the best you can do and, and, you know, got to kind of let the chips fall from there. Yeah. Awesome. All right, man, dude, that was, I really enjoyed that, Josh. I hope you did too. I, I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, thanks for what you're doing both as an owner of a restaurant and with the dining out publication, where do people find you? Tell us about uh, dining out uh, website and where else would you like people to go if they want to learn more about what y'all are doing? Uh, diningout.com. You can, uh, you can subscribe to get a free copy of the magazine if you're in the industry um, and, and you're not getting one already. Uh, and then, you know, keep an eye out on the website. We'll be, we'll be making some ongoing changes and, and growing it, uh, you know, over the, over the coming months. All right. And tell me your, if I, if we come to Boulder, where should we go to eat? Tell me about your restaurants there. Uh, we've got a place called River and Woods, which is a little cottage down on, uh, on 23rd and Pearl with a, um, really cool, unique backyard area, but it's a hundred year old cottage. And then, uh, and then we're opening up on, uh, West Pearl, uh, a, a restaurant called Ashkara, which is Israeli fusion. Um, we have that, we have one of those in, uh, in Denver, um, that we opened about a year and change ago with some partners down there. I'm so excited. We were supposed to open in, uh, in April. Um, so that was good timing. Um, and, uh, so that's getting ready to open here next month. And then next summer we're opening up at the Boulder reservoir. Uh, we'll have a restaurant, uh, in partnership with the city there. So that's what we got. That's what we got in Boulder. Awesome. Man. Okay. And you got a lot of other ones all over the place, but, uh, well, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Right on. Well, thank you. All right, man. Have a good one. See you, Josh. Bye.